You are listening to the Be The Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. How are you guys doing today? It's exciting. Each week, Be The Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding. But I'm going to do it in the spirit of love. We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end. Be the Bridge community, welcome to another episode of the Be the Bridge podcast. I wanted, when I um, first got on the call with this um, gentleman, um, I wanted to say, finally, it worked out. (laughs) But this is someone that I've wanted to have on um, the podcast for a while to really um, um, do some continued discipleship work um, in this 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 um, work of racial justice, and um, this person has written a book, and I wanted to introduce. For those of you who may not know him, you need to know him, um, and you need to buy his book. Um, um, Pastor David Swanson. So it's so great to have you here, um, and so you guys, so you know a little bit about. Pastor David Swanson. Um, He is the pastor of New Community Covenant Church, a multicultural congregation in Chicago's um, Bronzeville neighborhood. He helps lead New Community Outreach, a nonprofit that collaborates with the community to reduce sources of trauma. And he speaks around the country on topics of racial justice and reconciliation. So he is uh, at home here on the Be The Bridge um, podcast because those are the exact things that we talk about. Um, He has written articles for Christianity Today, the Inglewood Review of Books, and the Covenant Companion. He lives in Chicago with his wife and two sons. And... um, Thank you for joining us on this podcast. Um, you know that in this day and time, um, you are a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I am I am beyond thrilled to be here. I have admired, uh, you know, Be the Bridge for a long time, and you personally. So I, it really is a huge honor to get to to have this conversation. Yeah, and I'm so glad. And I know, I tell you, it's. I was just talking to someone this in this work um, just this weekend, and I said um, we need to have a communion of the minds, a coming together, which I'll talk to you after um, this call. I just want to get everyone um, that's a part of this podcast get their interest peaked about what that conversation would be. Mm. But um, you know, it's it's rough out here in these streets yeah. and. Yeah. Um, but God is at work and God that's is moving. Right. And, and that's how we know um, with the backlash and the pushback mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Um, God is in the midst. And um, so I'm encouraged at the same time, um, exhausted, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and, and, and there's a tension in that. Like, you know, yeah. you can be encouraged and hopeful, but also um, um, just exhausted and 
discouraged, you know, mm-hmm, at, at mm-hmm. the same time. And that's a, a fine line between that. But I know you understand stand that. But um, um, David wrote a book called Rediscipling the Right Church from Cheap Diversity to, to True Solidarity. And let me tell you, this is a book that we all need. I mean, I... I know you hear all the stories where um, we love to have um, the looks of diversity, but none of the mm. work of um, of solidarity or reconciliation mm-hmm. and um, diversity without justice and without um, reconciliation is really cheap and it takes yeah. hard work. And so I really want to talk to you um, what motivated um, you to write this book, and I could imagine—I don't even—I could imagine just the name of of it. You know, the rediscipling <laughs> the white church, like just that alone. I know you have just garnered a, a, a lot of um, uh, of pushback. But what mm-hmm. motivated you to write rediscipling the white church? And I think I love why you used the word. Um, discipleship, and I mm-hmm. and I think you know in our conversation, um, explaining why this work is about discipleship and mm-hmm. the lack of it, and and um and just the spiritual formation that it requires to do this work, and um you know how we've gone off track, you know in this, and so I would love to know why why did you write this. Yeah, because you knew that they were going to come for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did. I mean, you can't always predict what it's going to feel like when it happens, but uh, right. yes, for sure. I, you know, I, I, I love the question about discipleship. It's, it's to be honest with you, Tasha. It's one of the things I love about be the bridge uh, because mm. I think a lot of what you all do is formational yes. work. Uh, yes. I have the chance to to lead some trips with our mutual friend Dominique Gilliard where we do these intentional racial reconciliation trips through different civil rights, uh, um, you know, significant places in, in, in the American South. And I can always tell when someone has done the, the Be the Bridge work when they come on one of these trips, um, mm. be, because wow. the, you can tell that there's been some formation already, uh, that their yes. starting place is one of much more depth. So mm. uh, to get to your question, though, our our church is a multicultural, multiracial church located in a historic African-American neighborhood in Chicago. Mm. So for folks who don't know, I like to say that Bronzeville is the Harlem of Chicago, has very similar history and legacy and, and significance. And so that's where over the past decade, I've spent most of my time in ministry and you know thinking about ministry challenges there. But of course, uh, also spending time in you know, majority white settings as well, not as often, but enough to really feel that dissonance between those mm-hmm. two different social locations. And, uh, you know, over the past few years, as I would sometimes feel like I was walking from one world into another world, it it just felt like the the ways that, that different Christians were experiencing reality mm-hmm. was so very, very different. And I, I remember reading some polling data that was showing how white Christians were very, you know, very supportive of politicians and policies that were, you know, without question going to do damage to their um, to their family in Christ who share mm-hmm. faith but not race, right? Yeah. And I just had this question: Who is discipling? 
these white Christians? Why is it that the discipleship that, that these white Christians are experiencing has not led them into deeper solidarity with the rest of the body of Christ, but has seemed to reinforce the racial categories and the racial formation of this country so that those white Christians uh, don't even appear all that curious about how those policies and politicians are going to impact their sisters and brothers of color. And that, that was the question for me that, that kind of set me down this path of, of wanting to try to understand that dynamic and then to try to envision what, what, what an alternative would be. You know, what would it look like for a majority white ministry or church to take seriously the call to mm-hmm. discipling Christians so that they stand more and more in solidarity with the whole body of Christ mm. so that our witness to Jesus could be that much more powerful. Right, right. That is so good. I mean, I think going back um, to even the beginning of Be the Bridge, that was that pause that I had, you know, thinking, what, how did, are we landed in two different spaces in reading the same Bible? You know, how did um, this ideology end here? Like, how did we even have um, slavery and mm-hmm. um, the black mm-hmm. codes and mm-hmm. all of this, all of these things on um, on on Christians' watch? You know, yeah. without yeah. not. Not with us just standing on the sidelines watching, but us being complicit mm-hmm. and involved in it, active, you know, and, and a lot of times leading it. And so when we look at that, you know that there has been um, just just some bad discipleship, some um, really bad hermeneutics, yeah, <laughs> really bad yeah. exegesis, like mm-hmm. all of those things. And so in order to shift that, we need books like your you know, like the one that you've written. Um, one of the things that you you say um, in the intersection of race and Christianity, you said uh, many white Christians across America are waking up to the fact that something is seriously wrong. Um, but often this is where we get stuck. And that's exactly what happens. There's this awareness. Um, but then, and, you know, sometimes we move into that, that's, that, that position of, you know, acknowledgement, but then we stop. You know, and then we try to talk ourselves out of it or we try to um, project or place blame. Um, But you said the prospect of addressing racial blind spots and assumptions can seem impossible, especially when the members of our communities are content with the way things are. Or as if often the case in this country when our neighborhoods and towns appear to offer little in no way of cultural diversity. And we're living out that legacy of the Black Coles. We're living out the yes. legacy of, um, of you know, of of you know, enslavement. Because you, when you look at um, you know our neighborhoods and our churches, you know, um, I our sporting events <laughs> are more diverse than our churches. That's you right. know, that's right. Um, in our our communities, you know, um, you know, there's more. Um, segregated schools now than they were yeah. um, doing yeah. the era of segregation. I'm, yeah. you know, and it's just unbelievable because when you have geographical, um, you know, si- systemic racism that was done geographically, um, you know, that is more than saying, okay, we're going to pass a policy. Like you, mm-hmm. the undoing of that is so complex. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, why do you think this discussion of discipleship is so critical um, to the idea of race in the church? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a lot of the reasons that you just identified there, we, mm-hmm. we live in a particular place. We have this particular historical legacy, which does not just exist in the past, which is very mm-hmm. much <coughs> at work and, and impacting the, the, the present day as well. I, I think that there is what I call in the book a, a kind of racial discipleship that has been at work on, well, on anybody in this country, right? I, I'm thinking particularly about white white Christians here, the way that our imaginations and our assumptions have been shaped by our society's racial discipleship. Uh, this has left us content with a status quo which is, you know, clearly by any measure, uh, anti-biblical, anti-Christ. Uh, it, it, it has uh, the the legacy that you're describing. The status quo wrecks tremendous damage on image bearers of God. But because white Christians have not identified that racial discipleship, there's a sense in which we have baptized it in our churches as uh, an acceptable reality for our life in Christ, uh, that, that that racial discipleship is in fact compatible with our discipleship to Jesus. Now, <laughs> we have no excuse for this because we have had sisters and brothers in Christ, uh, men and women of color, particularly African-American Christians, who for as long as this country has been a country, have pointed out this disjointedness between the, the American status quo when it comes to race and Christian discipleship. People like, like Frederick Douglass, for example, uh, Ida B. Wells, one of my Chicago heroes. The, these Christians have said to, 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 to white churches, white pastors, white, 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 white congregations, you are not living into uh, your, your discipleship in Jesus. You, you have sold, uh, in, in Douglass's words, the pure and peaceable uh, way of Jesus for for something that is profoundly harmful and destructive, but because white Christians haven't identified that, have not accepted that, have not been willing to hear that truth, we've we've brought all of that with us into our churches. So it's my contention that because there is this this deforming racial discipleship that has been at work on us so long, uh, the only way to truly address this is with robust. Uh, Christian discipleship, which has been modeled again for for, for generations and centuries by uh, by many African American Christians and others in this country, so I, I think as much as we need activism, as much as we need uh, you know new information, as much as we uh, we need to understand our history and some of the sociological elements uh, when it comes to to systemic racism, uh, if Christians do not. Uh, include discipleship as part of how we are going to address this, we are not fully going to be able to counter that that other kind of discipleship that's been at work on us for so, so long. One of the things that, you know, as people listen to this, and um, there are various people that listen to our podcast, but, you know, we also like you know, with our podcast, it is a tool. It is a resource for um, the members of our community to also share with others, you know, maybe others who are not in the space of awareness and acknowledgement, or maybe they're just staying in that space, but they're stuck and not knowing what are the next steps, or there's pastors out there that are trying to figure this thing out. And some, because of fear, 
there's kind of like a doubling down. And one of the things that I hear, um, you know, a lot, um, especially by um, white, you know, part of our white Christian family, and then some, you know, and then there's some um, BIPOC people that say this, where we don't want to, um, talking about this is causing more division, that we are causing hate, um, bringing all of these things up. Um, what do you say about some of the pastors that are, um, you know, facing this in, in their in their congregation, those that are listening now, we have a lot of pastors that are part of our Be The Bridge community. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, some of them, they're, you know, having a hard time, you know, bringing along their their um, their congregation. Some of them have been fired um, yeah. because yeah. Um, uh, of addressing this. So, um, you know, what would you say to the Christians that, you know, really, um, we just need to love one another. We just need, mm. need to, to love um, our neighbor. And, and I look at that and I'm like, this is the essence of love, you know, yeah. um, love brings about correction, you know, yeah, and, right. and we see that in scripture. That's what Jesus does to Absolutely. us. You know, Absolutely. we repent of our sins, you know, right. um, we confess our sins. And so, um, what would you say to the pastor that is experiencing that in his congregation, um, that where the pushback that he's getting is, you know, we just need to love and we just need to do what the Bible says. Um, like, you know, like we haven't done that for the last, you know, <laughs> centuries. <laughs> Which is actually helpful for me to remember when I hear that kind of pushback. You know, there's nothing new uh-huh. under the sun, right? Uh, right, right. <laughs> I actually take a, a sort of perverse uh, encouragement in that. Like, okay, the, uh-huh. there were the saints who went before us faced this kind of stuff too, right? Uh, they, right? They had to push through this as well. Yeah, but that's that's so that's so real. There's, I mean, we every 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 uh, Martin Luther King Day, we see this on a on a broad scale, right? Like yes, the appropriating right. of some s- supposed colorblind ideology. Yeah, uh, you know, it's just so disheartening. Yeah, so I think I think a couple things. One, I want to I want to be very empathetic to those pastors because it is it is difficult work, especially if you're in a majority white space trying to do this work. It can be very very difficult. And I, I think it's appropriate to simply acknowledge that it's not impossible. And there are plenty of other settings that are difficult as well, but this has its own particular edge to it. And I want to validate that because, frankly, we need more uh, pastors and ministry leaders in these majority white settings who understand just how important this discipleship work is in those majority white settings. Like, we need you there. We need you to be faithful there. We need you not to give up. We need you to understand your place within this broader reconciliation movement within the body of Christ. And that in a very real sense, you stand on 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 one of the front lines of this of this work that we 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 do together. So that would be one thing I would want to say. Uh, the other is that as as Christians, we don't have the luxury of lying. We we don't get to not tell the truth. That that is basic for us. And so for myself, this is one of the the kind of litmus tests when I'm doing this work and I feel the temptation to in some way not tell the full truth. Maybe that's to not tell the full truth about our nation's history or to not tell the tr- the full truth about uh, the nature of systemic racism today or to not tell the full truth of how the gospel calls us to give our lives uh, to this sort of this sort of work. Um, I, I feel that temptation in order to appease uh, the white people in the room or in order to keep them at the table. I, I always try to remember in that moment, I don't get to lie. 
as a Christian, as a follower of the one who is the embodiment of truth, I must always tell the truth. What this means is that we are incredibly dependent on the Holy Spirit because we understand the, the spiritual immaturity when it comes to this that many white Christians have because they've not been discipled in this. And so we understand the tendency for, for folks to get defensive, for folks to deny, for folks to shut down the conversation, for folks to accuse you of becoming too political or too liberal or a critical race theorist or whatever the, the thing will be tomorrow. It'll be something else. We understand those those tendencies. And so we, we we can be tempted to not tell the full truth. And I just don't think as Christians we we have that options. And so we we pray that the Holy Spirit would be the one who keeps people at the table. I regularly remind folks that this is profoundly spiritual work that we do. As much as we, we need other resources and tools, at the end of the day, this is a work that only the Spirit of God uh, uh, can, can accomplish. Um, so, so, so there's that, and then here, here's the the last thing I would say, and I, I'm borrowing this from from my friend Dominique Gilliard, who's uh, written, which we love him. Yes, yeah, <laughs> just a phenomenal, wise friend. Yes. One of the things I love that Dominique has has said in my hearing multiple times to to pastors, mostly of, of white churches, is don't let the thing you can't say to your church today be the same thing you can't say to your church next year. And, and there's such pastoral wisdom there, right? Because Dominique is reminding us that, that, that pastors and ministry leaders are called to understand where the people they serve and lead actually are, to recognize where they are. But we are never content to leave them there, right? It's our vocation, it's our call to continue leading people into more and more of God's truth for them. So we do that 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 good biblical exegesis, but we do a kind of congregational or cultural exegesis too to say, well, here, here's where our people are. Here's where they might be stuck. Here's, here's some of the inputs that might be impacting how they hear and see this call to reconciliation and racial justice. That's where we are. That's not where we want to stay though. So then what are the discipleship steps so that a year from now, that congregation has more spiritual maturity to hear more of God's truth for them, to be invited more into God's mission for their lives, and to experience more of the gifts of being more deeply connected with the rest of the body of Christ. Where we are today doesn't have to be where we are stuck a year from now. And I I think that's where discipleship comes in. That's good. That's good. Um, I know you're leading a um, multiracial, multicultural church, and that's a a big difference, you know. Um, In a a lot of churches, um, I think to say that you are a multi-ethnic or a multiracial church, you have to have like 20% of your congregation. I think that's about That's the definition, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But... You know, what I've seen a lot is placeholders, like you have a very diverse um, maybe congregation, uh, but maybe, you know, leadership is not diverse. Uh, Maybe um, when we talk about uh, multicultural, like the Christianity is multicultural, (laughs) like that means that Mm -hmm. um, this is a global religion, Mm -hmm. like it's it's, it's not um, um, a white religion. And so, but that in Western context, that's how it's seen. And that's a lot of times how it's um, um, portrayed in a lot of ways, you know. Um, So you write um, that the multiracial church 
often um, perpetuates white culture rather mm-hmm. than um, disciple white people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about that, because I think a lot of times people are content with, oh, I see um, black people holding the doors at my church or um, <laughs> I see um, some Asian people on the um, the the worship band, um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. my thing is, what are they singing? <laughs> what else yeah, are they doing? Are they in right. leadership? Um, um, are they around the table? Do they have a voice around the, t- the table? Right. Um, are people listening? You know, there's there's a difference in um, you know, but it should really break our hearts. Like Sunday mornings should really yeah. break our hearts, you know, and. Um, and so what would you say, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen and some of the things that you've experienced? Because um, to get to this point, you're in a black, uh, predominantly black community, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. said, um, and you're a white pastor. Like, mm-hmm. what have you had to do differently? You know, what have been some of the things that you've learned in that mm-hmm. in, um, in this context? Yeah, I'm so incredibly thankful for our context. You know, ours is a neighborhood that in many ways uh, has been held down by uh, black congregations over the past hundred years. Um, We've been, we had the chance uh, during the pandemic to meet uh, in one friend's church's parking lot. They weren't meeting in person yet. We weren't comfortable meeting inside. And so they allowed us to use their parking lot all last summer to have our worship services in. And uh, this is a 100-year-old black church in the community that's been doing ministry all of these years. And, and so for us, our friends, our ministry partners, my peers, colleagues, mentors, uh, for, the, for the vast uh, majority of all of these, these are, are African-American Christians in our, in our community. And so this has just been a, a gift beyond, beyond description as we've tried to, to nurture a, a multicultural church that does not default to cultural whiteness. Uh, w- one of the things that helped me very early on, our associate pastor, a woman named Michelle Dodson, who's, who's finishing up her PhD in sociology of religion right now, she recommended this book by Corey Edwards called The Elusive Dream, which uh, is... is you know, a little bit yeah. old now, but I, I can't recommend it highly enough. And yeah, in I've that heard book, a lot about that. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness, so good, Doctor Edwards. She was on the for yeah, she was on the forefront of this work. Yeah. She was, yep, and and yeah. still is, still is doing mm-hmm. really, really important work. So, Doctor Edwards, she identifies that she does does this ethnographic research in multicultural churches, and she finds that the vast majority of them. Uh, are still culturally white, and this is because uh, white people uh, have not are not used to being either in the minority or or, or feeling discomfort in a in a mm-hmm. church space, right? So that we have been formed to to interpret our discomfort as something being wrong, and certainly a sign not a sign that God might be at work in our lives. Uh, on the other hand, the 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 BIPOC folks in the room uh, have all sorts of experiences being uncomfortable, uh, understand that God works in discomfort, but they also understand that white people don't have that that same formation. And so the, the default in many of these churches is for people of color to accommodate to cultural whiteness in order to keep white people in the room, and white people are clueless that this dynamic is, is happening. When I read that, it was it was kind of like the, the, you know, the scales fell from my eyes, and I realized if we're going to do this, 
uh, well and in a healthy manner, we're going to have to directly and regularly confront whiteness. We, we will have mm-hmm. to name it. We'll have to talk about what it looks like. We'll have to talk about how it manifests in very specific ways. But we'll have to do that in a way that that doesn't just um, you know quote unquote educate white people, but actually is good news to the people of color in the room uh, as as well. And we've not always done that well, Tasha, as you can imagine. We've made tons of mistakes over the years. Right. I've I've made tons of mistakes over the years. But I do think that 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 commitment to identifying whiteness um, as something. Uh, as as a kind of sociological reality that is opposed to to God's desire for us uh, that would bring uh, shalom and reconciliation has been just so, so important. Um, If if I can maybe just tag one other thing onto this question, I'm aware that there are lots of of, of pastors serving in in majority white churches, and they're not all white pastors. Uh, just was emailing with a a, a woman uh, down in in Georgia today, who's an African American woman leading a, a majority white church. And I, I think for some folks in those settings, it can feel like, look, if I can't become that multiracial church, then there's not really any role for us to play in the broader reconciliation movement. Mm-hmm. I think for a generation or so, we held up the multiracial church as kind of the panacea. This, this is this is how we're going to quote unquote fix you know racism in the mm-hmm. church, and I think that left out a lot of people serving in these in these monoracial, monocultural settings. And I want to say to those folks, we really need you as well. Uh, we mm-hmm. we need good, strong, healthy you know immigrant congregations that are reaching yes. people who are. We need good, strong, healthy black churches that, yes. that are kind of hanging on to and remembering and translating uh, into our contemporary moment the, 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 the sacrifices, the leadership, the resiliency, the wis- wisdom of, of those previous generations. Mm-hmm. And we need white churches who are discipling white people into solidarity mm-hmm. with the body of Christ. And we need mm-hmm. those churches to understand that they have a role to play as well. Now, some of those churches will become multiracial and, and, and that'll be good. But what'll be good about that is they've done the discipleship work first, right? right? They've tilled the mm-hmm. soil so that they, they don't actually just end up doing that cheap diversity thing. Doing that cheap diversity. Did you know that right now in 2022, a time when cryptocurrency and space travel and self-driving cars are a thing. Nearly one in 10 people still lack access to clean water. People who live without water can spend hours trying to find it. And the water they do find is often contaminated and can make their entire family sick. But Charity Water is on a mission to change that. Since 2006, they have funded community-owned water projects in 29 countries, providing clean and safe water for nearly 15 million people and proving each project with photos and GPS coordinates. Please consider supporting Charity Water today. Your act of compassion will positively impact lives around the world. Whether you donate once or choose to join their monthly giving community, this spring, 100% of your donation will help bring clean and safe water to families in need. So visit charitywater.org forward slash bridge to learn more. Again, that's charitywater.org forward slash bridge. I, I want to just make a, 
kind of like a teachable moment, um, a um, discipleship moment, even in this podcast, because I know sometimes we use terms and people, because they lack the understanding of these terms, um, they misinterpret them and come up with their own definitions of stuff and try to kind of change the narrative around it. Um, So I want you to explain the system of whiteness. You know, when we talk about whiteness, um, this is something that we do in our um, Be The Bridge work, um, understanding that, you know, um, the difference between ethnicity and and race and how um, there's this system of whiteness that we have in our in America and especially Western culture that has been um, created and generated mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. that is very different from um, ethnic ethnicity, place That's and right. culture and That's language, right. um, which is totally different. So a lot of times when we um, use a word like this, people interpret it like you're saying something is wrong with me being white. Mm-hmm. Like because mm-hmm. they they take on that full identity like that this white identity, not even understanding where this was created, why it was created, where it came from. And so when you mix, miss that context, um, you sound real crazy out here in these streets. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> when you're true. Um, arguing people down without the full understanding of the history of of this this word, and I mean, people are creating laws and policies yeah. around some of this stuff. When it's like twenty years from now, thirty years from to now, the same thing that we look back on laws that were created and just laugh and just lose our breath over it. Like, how can people in their right mind think that this was justified? Um, That is how we are going to look in this moment in history, you know, 30, 50, 60, 70 years from now, um, because we did not take the time to pause and to understand and to listen and to empathize. we were on the defensive. We were too busy denying and deflecting. Um, so can you explain that um, to people who are listening? Um, a lot of our audience, if they've done any work, would be the bridge. Um, they should understand it. But then there's people, you know, they're passing these. Um, there's people for the first time that would hear this. Um, how would you explain this to someone that's just stepping into this, that's highly offended um, by the by the word whiteness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 I hope you certainly feel more than free to to, to chime in with with you know how yes, how you would definitely. talk about that as well. Um, I, I think on a very basic level, when when I think about whiteness, I'm I'm thinking about a sociological, uh, a societal system which uh, benefits those of us who have been racialized as white, who who um, uh, observably uh, through th- through our our skin tone pigmentation uh, look white uh, at the expense of uh, those who do not, at the expense of people of color and in the American context, particularly uh, African-American people and indigenous people, um, so, that, so that we're talking about societal norms. We're talking about what, what uh, Brian Stevenson of the Equal Justice Initiative uh, would describe as as a narrative, a narrative that that privileges some at the expense of others, um, a, a kind of hierarchy that we are, are we are born into, and there's a historical reason for this. Uh, there's a historical story behind this, 
where people of European descent, uh, through this confluence of all sorts of different things happening related to exploration and colonization and the Enlightenment and so on and so forth, uh, begin to racialize people for the pursuit of of power and and money and creating these these hierarchies, uh, these taxonomies of of peoples, and then they would judge those people based on on how they fit uh, onto that hierarchy. So when somebody says, um, you know, are you saying that all white people are inherently racist or inherently bad? I understand that we're 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 missing each other in the conversation, right? Because what we're describing is is a societal reality, and right. societal realities impact all of us, and mm-hmm. they impact all of us whether we've chosen for it to impact all of us or or not, right? Uh, right. As as somebody who who doesn't have significant disabilities, I engage in a in a society that that privileges that reality in ways that. Uh, a cousin of mine who's a paraplegic doesn't experience the the, mm-hmm. the same privileges, right? We're we're born into the same society, and so it impacts us in in different sorts of ways. Um, so so I I think your point is so important uh, for white people in particular when it comes to culture and ethnicity, because these are God given. We find examples of these in Scripture, and there's so much for those of us who are white to learn and to discover, to celebrate, to be grateful for. There's so many ways of thinking about our own identity and the 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 the, the people who we we are connected with and the people who we can connect with. But when it comes to whiteness, we are talking about something that is not God-ordained, is not God-given, mm-hmm. is a human invention, and is a human invention meant to privilege some and to oppress others. And that has then gotten worked into our, our society. Now, I don't think there's anything surprising about this because who builds societies but sinful people? Right. And so I think Christians should never be afraid to talk about systemic sin because we understand that we are individuals with sinful hearts who build these societies. Mm-hmm. And so, of mm-hmm. course, our fingerprints are all over them. And we're simply talking about one of the ways that our sinful fingerprints are all over our society when it comes to the reality of, of racial whiteness and how that continues then to impact our imaginations and our assumptions and the stories we tell because it has that, that forming quality uh, to it. And because the, the, the enemy of God is a deceiver and a liar, um, those, those sinful systems do a very good job of making themselves confusing <laughs> about blending into the background. The Apostle Paul calls these the patterns of this world. And mm. the patterns of this world are hard to see. They just become the patterns. They become the wallpaper. They become the norm. And it is for us as Christians to have eyes to see those patterns, to realize that what has portrayed itself to be normal and neutral and natural is none of those things and is not inevitable. And we are called to live in a very different and much better kind of way. Yeah, yeah. And one of the one of the things I think when you talk about practice and presence, um, um, I I. I thought about you know Brother Lawrence you know practicing the presence of God mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Um, but and I'm but one of the things you you talk about like um, how whiteness emerged historically um, and walking people through you know how this system became the law of the land and how it was used but um, one of the when you think about the the key factors that um, that really subverted God's intention um, 
in his creation of diverse people. I mean, you think about like, you know, when we read about the Tower of Babel and, and, you know, and why, you know, God said, go and be fruitful and multiply. And, you know, why um, that there has been this creation of language and culture and how it's beauty, but we've learned to look at differences as um, being at odds of one another rather than uh, being a part of the image of, of God and, and his creation. Like we would, we would get bored looking at, you know, the same birds, but, you know, we have a diverse group of birds to, to, to look at, you know, I mean, everything in, creation speaks of God's, you know, um, um, creativity and his, um, his diversity and, um, and how that's something that we would, uh, we, that, um, has been breathed into us, um, even as human beings. And I think, um, that's something that's really important. Um, what would you say, um, you know, why is this important for us to understand these key factors and why um, God's intention is for a diverse um, community of people communing together, worshiping him in spirit and in truth? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, thank you for using the bird example because I'm, I'm an amateur bird watcher, <laughs> so I, I resonated with that particular <laughs> example a lot. I know, right? And I'm looking <laughs> at birds now. Just I'm looking at cardinals, and I, yes. I, I was just, I was just, um, I was just talking to a, a friend, like you know, the cardinals. There's different shades. Like mm-hmm. there's like a the male is like red, I think, right, and right, yep. the, um, the female is is light lighter. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and she, um, she, I was cracking up at my friend because she said, she said, um, oh, I just saw. She didn't know that, and she was like, I just saw the light skinned cardinal. <laughs> <laughs> and she called it life good. And I was just oh, laughing. So and I was good. like, if God does this, if he's so intentional yes, in creation, yes. when we look at fish and trees and just all That's the right. things around us, why would it be any different? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> when it Absolutely. comes to to human beings, when it comes to the human race, like, you know, he called it good. We are different. And I think yeah. when we learn to see look through this lens and see each other as as God sees us, we wouldn't see it as something um, that sets us against one another, our differences, but something that brings us together and causes um, um, beauty that points back to God. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and what I love about what you're saying there is that it's, it's a reminder that when we when we participate in the ministry of reconciliation and racial mm-hmm. justice, we, we are actually moving towards something really good yes. and really mm-hmm. beautiful. And re- you know what I mean? Like it's yes, there is so much that we are called to resist. There is so much evil that that needs to be identified. There are, there's a lot of confession and repentance mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. that that I've you know had to experience in my my own life over the years. But because we are are talking about the God who, who, who is revealed in Jesus Christ, we have to understand that everything God calls us to is good, that, that no matter how painful it might feel at, at, a, at a given moment, we can trust that, that God's desires for us are always good. God's promises for us are always good. And so that vision of a diverse people 
experiencing new life in Christ together, what it means to belong to the people of God together, learning how to to nurture community together, uh, coming around Scripture and and, and reading uh, the Bible together and, and interpreting Scripture together from those different places of, mm-hmm. of experience and, and perspective, worshiping in music and song together, and 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 you know bringing the gifts of different uh, cultural experiences when it comes to worship music and being formed by that and the traditions mm-hmm. that are attached to that. Right? I mean, all, the list goes on and on and on of of the, the the delight and the beauty that we experience when we and I think we know this on a, on a basic level we understand right. right like like we don't want all our friends to be exactly like us we don't want them to have the exact same personality that we do and only like the f- same food we like and only, you know what I mean like we like friendship groups that expose us to new things like we want to be able to say you know I never even would have tried this food if it wasn't for you and now I love it now it's one of my favorite things to eat uh, I never would have watched that movie but that was such a great move. So on on a basic level, we understand that. Uh, when it comes to to race, we we have kind of exempted, particularly those of us who are white, we've exempted ourselves from that. We we've categorized that as somehow a difference that that can't be transcended. Uh, and and thankfully, there are just so many people like yourself and others who can testify that in fact mm-hmm. the gospel is powerful enough to invite us into those kinds of relationships right. into that kind of community and and again the word that i think we need to say over and over and over again particularly when it comes to discipleship is yes there will be sacrifice yes there will be pain yes you need to count the cost i i, I constantly am encouraging leaders you, you have to count the cost ahead of time but yeah. never ever ever forget how good this is what a yeah. gift this is how transformative this will be for you like you were joking about about the pushback you know when we started mm-hmm. this conversation and it's true but i mm-hmm. joke with people like what's what's the alternative am i going to go back <laughs> like right. am, am i going to go back to to just the majority white church and like no way <laughs> like that's yeah. this is yeah. just too good you know the gift mm. of this mm. despite the pushback is is exceedingly and abundantly better than 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 what my vision of community would have been without right. this this reconciliation mm-hmm. and justice piece. So so I hope people remember that that our God is is just so good in these ways. Yeah, and and like you said this is such a spiritual work, you know, mm-hmm. and because of spiritual work you do have um darkness that pushes against, yes. you know, yes. righteousness and justice. And why do you why do you think right now that um there's just this Push, especially particularly in um, predominantly white spaces, white churches, um, you know, this lack of desire to pursue um, righteousness and justice, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, 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 but you see the kind of like the opposite, um, especially in, in the black church or, yeah. um, yeah. you know, in churches of color of yeah. this um, approach to righteousness and, and justice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Our our friend, uh, Pastor Charlie Dates, Doctor Charlie Dates, here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. He's he's doing some good work around um, 
he, he says, what hath righteousness and justice to do with each other? And of course the answer is mm. everything, you know, in, in <laughs> right, scripture right. And, and, and as Christians. Um, yeah, I, I, I would suggest maybe a kind of cultural reason and then maybe a more spiritual reason. You know, culturally, uh, and, and there's a historian named Carol Anderson who's mm-hmm. done good work around this, uh, her, what is yeah. her book called? White Rage, I think? Yes, is yes, her book? yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. And she shows She's historic- actually here in Atlanta, I think. Okay, yeah, I think that's right, yeah. yeah. So, she, so she shows historically how every time in this country when there has been visible uh, uh, black progress, mm-hmm. that there is always an ensuing white backlash. Uh, and she just documents this in, in incredible historical detail. And it's incredibly discouraging to read this, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's just mm-hmm. – um, but I think it's so important that we remember this, that we are not surprised by this, mm-hmm. that we understand that because there's a real sense that this this country was was formed with this you know ideology of whiteness – uh, built into it, built on enslavement mm-hmm. of people of African descent, you know, it's, it's it's worked its way so deeply into us. So that I think we got to remember that and not be surprised when when that happens. Mm-hmm. I think a, a a point B there would just to be. I, I remember I, w- I was in high school, living in Southern California in the '90s, and there was legislation that was being proposed at that point that would have kept children of undocumented immigrants from being able to attend public schools. Now, that kind of legislation would never pass in California anymore because the demographics has changed so much, right? Mm -hmm. There's a dynamic when uh, people who have been in the majority feel as though they are losing their power, and it's Mm -hmm. ugly, uh, the thing that happens. And I think we're seeing that dynamic happen uh, across the country right now. And there are people who are leveraging that for their political purposes. They're fanning those flames. The, the last thing I'd say, I think spiritually, we, we, we understand that our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that yes. there is an enemy who is actively exploiting those cultural pieces that we just talked about, whose mm-hmm. aims uh, is to, 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 to kill and to steal and destroy. That, that is what we are up against. And so as, as Christians in the work of justice and reconciliation, I think it's particularly important for us that we not lose sight of that. So that we're not caught off guard, we're not surprised, and, and and here's the really important thing for me, so that we will not miss what the Holy Spirit is doing in the midst mm-hmm. of all of that, right? Because the noise is so loud and the attacks are so flagrant, the laws being proposed are so obscene that that could consume all of our attention and right. we miss <laughs> that mm-hmm. that God is doing something powerful right now. Yes. In congregations, in communities, lives are being changed. Mm-hmm. People are being called into this work. People are repenting. You know what I'm saying? Like yes, that like thing God is is, abs- is moving, yes. right? The the mustard seeds of the kingdom are growing uh, into mm-hmm. trees, right? The yeast of the kingdom is working its way into the dough. And our call is to see that stuff and to align ourselves with it, to get around that, to find our role in fanning those little sparks in, into flames. So I, I hope and pray that in this cultural moment, especially, we don't, we, we got to know that stuff. We got to pay attention to all that's wrong. We have to see how the enemy is at work. We, we got to, we can't be ignorant of that. But let's also reserve the capacity, the spiritual capacity to see what God is doing and to make sure we're getting around that as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I I was, you know, telling, um, just even encouraging myself and others is that, you know, we are not on the defensive here. 
<laughs> you know, like that's right. Um, and just and just and realizing that um, this work is good work, and this work is to um, so that all may flourish. You know, this is like um, you know when we think about that work of reconciliation, the reordering of things in the way God intended, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. this is good work, but the, it doesn't come without. Um, consequences or uh, without hardship or discomfort um, in the midst of that. I, I, one of the things you, um, I saw this, this tweet, you know, um, you were talking about like every, every time there is progression, um, there is this backlash and you can look throughout historically. So, you know, and you know, what we're dealing with now, um, um, it'll be something else in another five years. It'll be something else, you know? Um, But I I read this thing where, um, you know, even talking about even the CRT stuff, you know, um, where you didn't hear until after um, 2020 when you have this national rise of... Of of really repentance. I mean, from yeah. corporate America to yeah. churches to individuals, you see this push. Like the difference between what was happening um, in um, this, I, I feel like it was a move of God that was happening. Yeah. Um, unlike um, the civil rights movement, this was a diverse group yeah. of people. I mean, there were cities and communities, you know, that were standing. This was global. I mean, yeah. there were people, yeah. you know, marching, you know, in Norway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, this was touching every heart, and that caused a fear. Yes. And um, and so you see. You hear you you didn't hear the word CRT. It was like a fringe word, you know, and that was brewing and um some so, and, and really in the um the Christian spaces and it really um took political um um became a political platform and yeah. and you see it today and it, you know even the work that we're doing now really has nothing to do with that. Know, like know. you know, we all had to even look it up and be exactly. like, what in the world? Like. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so you don't, you know, um, to even explain. But one of the things um, that um, was posted on Twitter, it says the goal is to have the public read um, something crazy in the newspaper, anything. So now everything that you do yeah, yeah. is attached to, to this. And it's like people are so caught up and not really pausing yeah. To even think critically in what they're saying or what they're believing. Yeah. Um, and it says, and you want them to read anything and to immediately think critical race theory. We have decodified the term and will recodify it to annex the entire range of cultural constructions that are unpopular with Americans. So anything that's unpopular, anything yeah. that makes you feel uncomfortable now is classified as um critical race theory and then the thing is like most of these theorists they live among us mm-hmm. like they are here and um and can explain what they meant what they said but like this attaching of history and anything that we're trying to do to give context to explain how we ended up here yeah. um you know if if i'm t- as a critical, if if you are a critical race theorist, you like you're not really talking about reconciliation, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and that's that's the breadth of what we talk about. That's the yeah. breadth of what you yeah. talk about, yeah. you know. Um, and then when you know 
the world comes up with systems and and answers and solutions when the church is silent or when yeah. the church is on the wrong side or when the church is uncomplicit. And so um, I, I'm grateful for um, this part of the church that is continuing to push, that is continuing to create, that is continuing to have these conversations um, to, to really... Um, form a more por- perfect union, you know? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, so um, mm-hmm. one of the things that you talk about, and this is the last question, because I want to hear um, a couple things as we close, but, you know, there's this, um, with white Christians, you know, you talk about a lot. Um, you know, I always say that, you know, Christianity is first vertical and horizontal. Z- yeah. horizontal. Yeah. And we can focus on the vertical a lot. And you see a lot of times, like as being a part of white congregations, you know, for several years, I can see that it's like your relationship is very vertical with God, you know. Um, And the black church is very um, horizontal. It's it's about community. It's about the collective, you know. Um, You know, what impacts you impacts others. That's, you know, kind of how you think. But it's like you need this, you need both. You need this vertical and this horizontal to work together. Um, and one of the things you see is in the explanation of we should just really focus on the gospel, you know, we should just focus on salvation and, you know, um, and this, this, this thing where we should not, we like, we can't do both. Like you can't focus on social justice. So it's like saying that, okay, God is not concerned with the whole the whole of who I am, like the things that are, that are unjust to me. How would you explain that to someone that's, that's trying to understand this and why a lot of times white Christians think very differently about this? It's such an important question uh, because yeah. I think that this is this is one of the things that sabotages our, yeah. our reconciliation efforts is we don't recognize what you just said. Uh, there's a kind of diagnosis that needs to happen there. Uh, so, so you know, Michael Emerson and Christian Smith wrote their book, uh, Divided mm-hmm. by Faith, over 20 years ago. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they identify some of these things. Uh, they, they talk about the, the white evangelical tendency towards uh, anti-structuralism, anti-relational, or excuse me, anti-structuralism, relationalism, and individualism. Mm-hmm. And we don't need to go into all of those, but it is to say that like like all cultures, uh, white culture, and particularly white evangelical culture, has some attributes to it that are not, you know, just wholesale bad, but they do exhibit a lot of, you know, formational power. And so, yeah, so that individualism piece then gets overlaid onto our understanding of the gospel, where we think and celebrate and theologize around a God who saves us as individuals and only as individuals. Uh, thanks mm-hmm. be to God, God does save us as individuals, right? Mm-hmm. That's not the issue. The issue is if we reduce the gospel to just that individualized perspective. And what, and, and, and as you're reflecting, what we know from looking around at, at other Christian traditions mm-hmm. is that people have been able to hold a, a more, let's say, kind of biblically robust vision of the gospel to say that, yes, of course, God is deeply concerned with individuals' lives. And of course, salvation is offered through Jesus to individuals. And also in Jesus, all things are being held together. <laughs> and mm. Jesus is the ruler of the entire cosmos who 
who created it and who through his life, death, and resurrection has brought new creation. Jesus in Revelation is uh, the, 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 the lamb who was slain, but also the triumphant Messiah whom we will all, uh, all the nations will gather around in, in worship. And so th- this, I think, is the invitation is to, is to say um, not to leave behind the, the individual uh, truth about the gospel, but to say Jesus is actually a, a, a bigger Lord than just that. Jesus's salvation is 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 more comprehensive and, and powerful than just my own individual proclamation of faith. And understanding then that when we can do that, we're actually setting ourselves up for more success when it comes to reconciliation. Because now we have a, 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 a deeper biblical imagination for why this reconciliation is so important, for what it would look like to love one another within the body of Christ, to set aside my preferences uh, for yours, all sorts of practical implications as we begin mm-hmm. to see ourselves, again, not just me and Jesus, yes, me and Jesus, but also within this wider family of God. And this family of God is not segregated. <laughs> this family of God is, does include all of our sisters and brothers. And in a really practical sense, we can begin to ask ourselves, in my region, in my community, in my town, who belongs to the body of Christ? Have I had the joy of experiencing life together with those members of the body of Christ? If not, why? What would need to change? What would need to be different about our discipleship practices so that we actually get to experience more and more of uh, of this communal orientation of the people of God? Mm, so good, so good. I want to just um, clo- close, I, I have a question. Um, I want to read Ephesians 2 um, in it, you know, um, verses 14. It says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with his its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to um, you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Um, Ephesians um, 2 verses 14 to 18. How can we, um, as Christians, as followers of Christ, live up, live into this? I don't want to say live up to it, but live into this. That's such a beautiful passage. Um, yeah, I, so I want, I'll give one very kind of quick answer. For me, it's a reminder that I was once far. <laughs> yeah. I was brought near. That that I am an outsider who has been grafted in mm. to the to the family of God. Uh, Paul elsewhere uses the the agricultural imagery, right, of a, of a tree yeah. whose limb has been grafted into another. That's me. I'm the limb mm-hmm. that's been grafted in. I am not the insider. I am the welcomed outsider. And when I remember mm-hmm. that, that changes a lot for me. Yeah. Right, because I understand the the gracious hospitality that was offered to me. I understand the welcome that was offered to me. I understand how people 
uh, accommodated me in my in my brokenness and my sinfulness, mm-hmm. right? And that then ought to change how I think about welcoming others. Yeah. Um, that that I am not the 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 orienting center. That that mm-hmm. I do not have the authority to to sort of rightly interpret uh, and and place on a hierarchy uh, anyone else. That that I am one welcomed outsider among many who now gets to 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 welcome other welcomed outsiders into this into mm-hmm. this family of God. And that at the end of the day, it's not my responsibility to reconcile anybody to anybody. That this is only something that Jesus can do through mm-hmm. the broken body and the shed blood of our, of our Savior, the one who put to death that hostility. That's beyond my my, my capacity. Mm-hmm. I'm the beneficiary of that. I, I am the one who was, d- despite myself, welcomed into this, mm-hmm. and, and I get to now offer that, that same welcome to, to, to somebody else. The, the, it's, there's a, a kind of way that our churches are meant to be so saturated with hospitality because we, we all understand who we actually are and what a miracle it is that we get to belong to this family together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what are the things that, um, what, are, what is something right now, um, David, that you're lamenting? What is something that you're lamenting as it relates to um, this work? Yeah, it probably would be around the, the backlash that we're experiencing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I lament that it's happening because it's not, it's not theoretical, right? It, it impacts people's lives impacts people's livelihoods. But I do lament particularly that, that, that we've been caught off guard by it, that, that we were not better prepared. Um, I, I, I wish personally, for example, that in 2020, as, as there was so much uh, positive momentum, mm-hmm. that, that we would have been having conversations about the backlash that was to come. <laughs> yeah. that, that we would have, and, and maybe, I'm sure there were wise Christians who were doing that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I do lament that that we still get surprised by the tactics that are so so predictable yeah. and so so cyclical in, in, in their in their orientation. I, I lament that um, that that there are so many Christians who are still held captive to the the idols and the ideologies of our day, and who, despite the the good gifts that that are offered to us by our God. Um, have have been told that 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 they are to be content with this status quo that this status quo is actually as good as it's going to get uh when in fact god has uh so so much better for us yeah 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 um what are what are some of the things that's um bringing you hope in this moment and in this space yeah i mean <laughs> my hope is in Christ, my hope yes. is an eschatological hope, which is to say, I, I really believe that Jesus is the the universe's only true Lord. I, I do believe that Jesus is placing all uh, all of God's enemies under His feet. I, I I do believe that that there will be a day when Jesus returns and makes all things new and all things well. Mm. And and I need my hope to be there because. I, my my eyes don't see all that well and my faith mm-hmm. can be pretty small on any given day and i'm prone to misinterpret the work of god or to just not see it at all 
And so I, I need a hope that is anchored in the resurrection yes. of Jesus yes. so that I can keep saying yes to Jesus, even when it doesn't seem like there is any hope. And the beautiful thing is that when our when our hope is rooted in, in Christ in that way, we, we actually start to see hope in some in some surprising places and, and some surprising ways. So for me, after having written this book, Tasha, can I be totally honest? I didn't know if yeah. anybody but my parents would read this, this book. I'm like, who wants to read this book? Same right? way. Join um, the club. <laughs> and so to have had the privilege of talking with so many pastors and ministry leaders, mm. many of them white, serving in white churches, who honestly and earnestly want to be a part of this. Not yeah. somewhere else, not going to a, a more diverse space, but who feel called to that majority white community and church. Say, I want to do this here. Mm-hmm. I want to be faithful here. To me, that's nothing short of miraculous. To see yeah. that person see their context as a legitimate place to participate in the ministry of reconciliation, oh, that is incredibly hopeful to me. Yeah. Yeah. The loudest voices are never the majority of voices. And um, right. there is That's a right. remnant of people that are locked in, that are mm. ju- locking arms with us, that are um, committed um, to this work of spiritual formation, yeah. um, that they are saying, not on my watch, that we will not repeat the mistakes of our ancestors before us or those before them um that it stops here that it changes here Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. there are people that are buying these resources that are educating themselves that are um that hearts have been turned there is transformation happening so in the midst of all the pushback in the midst of everything that's happened um that is a part of that hope that God's work will not return void, that God has his people and he has his people of peace in the right place at the right time. And, you know, some of those stories, the sad is sad in my heart, laments for people who are on the end that are trying to uproot yeah. the work that God is doing, that their story would never be that no one ever tried to tell them. Yeah. Their story would be that someone told them and they refused to listen. Mm-hmm. And that is the story of so many of of the saints before us that had this same Bible, had the same resource, had these same words, but stood on the side of, yeah. of enslavement. Yeah. that stood on the side of um, segregation and, and black coals and, and, and all the things of, of, of marginalizing groups of people that did mm. not stand with the stranger or the foreigner. You know, there are choices that we have. And, um, and I always tell people that, you know, sometimes, you know, um, the just things are not legal. And sometimes yes. the legal things are yes. not just. That's right. Um, but we are to stand on the side of justice and righteousness. And um, and this, the Spirit of God always give witness to that. And sometimes we override what we know is mm-hmm. just. You can see it in um, even some of the historical documents where there's this, this, this um, tension. There's this, um, you know, you know, things that we didn't want to mention in the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence because there was a conviction about it, but it was overwritten, you know? Um, And and those things come back. You know, we will give an account for those things. And so um, I think this is an opportunity that we have now. This is, um, the world was presented with the opportunity 
um, in 2020, um, um, there was a grace that was given to us mm. to stand on the side of justice and righteousness. Mm. And um, some will prevail. Some have leaned into that. Some are, um, and then some are pushing against that. Um, yeah. But God's work will not return void. And that's, Amen. I think that's the hope that you and I both have is yeah. that our hope is not in people. It's not in systems. That's right. um, it's not in politics. It's not in partisanship. It's not that's right. in anything of this world, but it re- remains um, in Jesus Christ. So yes. thank you, brother, for doing the work mm. that you're doing. Thank you for, um, for um, continuing and um, and leading um, well in this. Uh, we need people um, to, th- there's one thing for me to say it, but it's a whole nother thing for you to say it. Mm. And so we need people during this time to um, not so much be in shock and awe, um, but to use their voices for good, yeah. you yeah. know, to stand yeah. for justice and righteousness. And as, um, um, as my friend, uh, Kathy King would say, you know, to raise your voices, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes that takes a skill set that we have to have to to learn and how to raise our voices um, yeah. in, 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 um, in a world that sometimes wants to silence us. And so yeah. we cannot stand idle in the midst of um, um, injustice that uh, we are called um, to to use our, our and leverage our our privilege um, that yeah. we have and and the spaces that we're in. Um, so um, thank you for for doing this work. Um, definitely praying for you. Um, I I am I am so serious about. I think um, all of us in this space we have to support each other. Um, yes. You know, yes. we all have our parts and our parts don't look alike, you know, um, but the parts that we have connect us. And so I think um, there's just a unification that um, that God wants to do with us in the midst of all of this. So I yes. um, expect to hear from, from us soon about um, some things and how we can um, all support each other um, that we don't feel like we're alone in 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 the midst of the fire. Uh, (laughs) um, But I'm so grateful for your work and thank you for joining us on the Be The Bridge podcast. And so the um, the book is Rediscipling the White Church um, from Cheap Diversity to True Solidarity. Um, This is a great book. This is another tool um, that um, that God has given us um, to do this holy work. And so we're um, so excited to be able to platform um, your voice in this work on the Be The Bridge podcast. So um, thank you, community, for listening. Um, Make sure you take this um this conversation in but not just take it in but also pass it on um to someone else so thank you so much david for being on our podcast and um Mm, thank you um, just um bringing wisdom um and clarity um and just um discipling us as as a community such a gift such a gift incredibly honored and like you said, I mean, I felt like you were describing the body of Christ, the different members, the different parts, all doing our, yeah. our, our part. And what a gift uh, to not to not do that alone. So thank you. Go to the donors table if you'd like to hear the unedited version of this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Be The Bridge podcast. To find out more about the Be The Bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community, 
go to bethebridge.com. Again, that's bethebridge.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lauren C. Brown is the senior producer. And transcribed by Sarah Conitzer. Please join us next time. This has been a Be The Bridge production. <laughs>